All right. Normally I don't need a mic. So I hope I'm not too loud. Because when I talk about Jesus, I get a little bit excited. And the church said, Amen. I'd like to get a few of those uh, echoing off the walls. Some years ago, Brother Jack Evans, I was told, went to go speak over in Dequeen, Arkansas. If you don't know where Dequeen, Arkansas is, you haven't missed much. But he was over there preaching a meeting, and of course, it was in the White Church of Christ. And a lot of times when preachers preach and there's no amens, a lot of preachers are used to saying, amen, walls. Well, it just so happened that one of the elders there was named Brother Wall. So every time Brother Jack said, amen, Wall, Brother Wall would say, amen. I think I was told he was the only one in the building that didn't know Jack wasn't talking to him. <laughs> so the whole sermon, he'd say, amen, Walls. Brother Wall said, amen. <laughs> I hope I don't have to say amen, Walls. There we go. Amen. Good to have you this morning. And if you are visiting, I want to welcome you. I believe they have one of these cards there. If you'll fill out a card and put down a name and address, I guarantee you some of my relatives here will come visit you. And if you got some needs, my relatives here will try to help you meet them physical needs. And if you need a Bible study, I got some relatives here that'll help you. Amen. And if while I'm here, I'd love to study with you. I like one-on-one. Man, when I pause. (laughs) Okay, I'll pull out my two R's. Am I plugged in? (laughs) I'll get excited here in a minute. I don't know where I was, but I'll start over. Let's warm up a little bit, church. Amen. Let's warm up with what a fellowship, what a joy deep when I'm leaning on the everlasting arm and what a blessedness what a peace is mine when I'm leaning on the everlasting you know I'm leaning on Jesus leaning on Jesus well I'm safe and secure from all I'm you know I'm leaning on Jesus church I'm leaning on Jesus leaning on 
on the everlasting arms. We will glorify the King of kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of lords who is a great I am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before his throne and we will worship him in righteousness. We will worship him alone for he is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who lives. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to him we give. So hallelujah to the King of kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lord of lords, who is the great I am. All right, now that y'all are warm up, let's start doing some singing. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God, Jehovah. Amen. See the baby Jesus. A lion in a manger. Well, it was early one morning. Amen. See him in the temple. A talking with the elders. Oh, how they marvel at his wisdom. Amen. Born down in Bethlehem. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. He's the great I am. Amen. Amen. Down at the Jordan, John baptized him for saving all sinners. Amen. Amen. See him at the seaside, a talking to the fisherman. Well, he was making them disciples. Amen. Amen. Sing it over. Glory, hallelujah. Praise God, Jehovah. Amen. Amen. Walking on the water, eh? showing us heaven's borders, eh? doing what he ought to eh? 
over tables. Showing us God is able to keep us all stable. Amen. Amen. He was healing all the people. Making us all equal. There's gonna be a sequel. Amen. Amen. See him in the garden. Praying to his father. In deepest sorrow. Amen. Amen. Sin before Pilate, eh, standing on trial, making a good confession, eh, amen, amen. I see him on the cross, he died to save the lost. He paid a great, great cost. Amen. Amen. I see him in the grave. He died for us to save. And he rose to live again now. Amen. A little bit lower, a little bit lower, a little bit lower, amen, amen, a little bit louder, a little bit louder, a little bit louder, amen, amen. And the church said, amen to the life of Jesus. When I learned that song about 42 years ago, there were three verses. Amen. And I started reading my Bible. I said, there's more verses. <laughs> and so I just continued to add the gospel message to the wonderful life of Jesus. And amen. Revelations 3 says that's one of Jesus' names. He is God's amen. He is God's yes to us that he believed that we were worth it. And so he died on a cross some 2,000 years ago that we might become the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, the people of God, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, the body of Christ, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, a people that's ecclesia, that's been called out for God's own purpose. And what a people... We have become in a world of darkness. We're going to be in John chapter 4 if you have a Bible. John chapter 4. Another one of Jesus' one-on-one encounters as we've been speaking about Jesus 
ministering to hurting people. And Jesus ministered to many of the hurting who were willing to admit that they were hurting. He had difficulties ministering to the religious leaders because they wouldn't admit that they were hurting. They thought they had God. They were depending on their past to identify a present relationship rather than depending on the present day to identify a present relationship through song or through prayer or through study of the word or through service or through living presently for him. Again, we find Jesus finding the hurting. And I guess on many occasions, what moves me is, why can't we find those people? They're still out there. And I believe that's why John writes these stories for us. The hurting religious people are still out there. As we will see in John 4, this woman was hurting. She had been through five divorces. I went through one with my dad and mom, and it still hurts. This woman had been through five. Can you imagine how hurting, how painful, how broken she was? Five divorces. Many scholars suggest that she's passed the flower of her age. No longer do men want to marry her. Now they just want to shack up with her. And by the way, young folks, shacking up was sin then and it's sin now. God didn't make a woman for trial and error. Uh, let's see if it'll work. He made her for a permanent commitment in this life. And that's why she is to be called wife not girlfriend or not live in. Sisters, don't you ever commit yourself to some man that is not willing to give you an honorable name and give you that name in that matrimony called marriage. That is the dream. And that's what I raised my three girls and my son to believe in. Not by just verbally teaching them but by them seeing that every day in our household. Where I told my wife before we ever married that I would never raise my voice to her and I would never raise my hand to her. She said to me, how can you say that when we're not even married? I said, because the Bible says in Ephesians 5, husband, Love your wife as Christ loved the church. I said, I don't want Christ raising his voice at me. Amen. Amen. I don't want Christ raising his hand to me. <laughs> Amen. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Come on, black people. <laughs> Y'all ain't white no more. You've been saying Amen. Amen. <laughs> And so when we said those words, I do, the past 32 years, she's been able to see if I'm a man of my word. Where are you? We're supposed to be men of our word. Amen, men? You roll tides? My woman knows when I gave her my word, I don't go back on my word. 
Because my father don't go back on his. My kids know that. I don't tell my children something twice. I tell them one time. As you can probably observe from your eyesight, I'm a man of discipline. And I still try to discipline this old body every day with a couple of thousand jump ropes and push-ups because I wanted my kids to know discipline and I wanted them to see that their mother and I were a couple that believed in discipline because when they come to God, they must know that we serve a God that is disciplined. Amen, church? There are a lot of people out there trying to say God doesn't mean what he says. I don't go for it. I believe that my father means exactly what he has said. And I have banked my soul on it and will until I meet him one day. What he says, he means. And what he means, he says. Sad to say that we live in a nation that truly God has blessed. We have been blessed by God. But we also live in a nation that no longer has the reverence for God that this country once had. I can remember in the early 50s when Sunday everything shut down. Grocery stores, no sports, no activity. That day was a day set aside for the Lord in the 50s. There wasn't going to be no work on the farm either. Amen. All that stuff was put aside. And I can remember getting up in the morning, walking, or some folks coming by in a wagon, hello y'all, and picking us up. Because back then, every day, every Sunday was potluck. Because church was going to be all day on Sunday. So everybody was carrying pots and pans because we going from cane to cane. For some of y'all who don't know what that means, that was back when you started work when you couldn't see and you didn't stop work till you couldn't see. It's called from cane to cane. Well, Sunday was the same way. You started walking when you couldn't see and you didn't start back home till you couldn't see. And that's why back in those days, Christians were close. There was no such thing as an hour sermon. Amen. <laughs> I get all these elderly people going, now, Brother Whitley, us, us retirees, we can't sit longer than 30 minutes. Don't lie to me, roll tide. War Eagle, don't lie to me. That game going overtime, you know what you're going to do, turn that thing off, right? <laughs> I hear a lot of people thinking that they're going to bluff me with some of that. I played on those fields. I played against Alabama, too. Ha ha, you didn't know that, did you? 1970 Blue Bonnet Bowl, Johnny Musso. Oh yeah, down in Houston, Texas. But church, my point is, I don't believe we're going to get to heaven spend an hour together on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. That's not going to cut it. The problems, the pains that people are having today aren't going to be solved in an hour. And so we're going to have to be a disciplined people. Well, we know how to sit down with somebody. And we sit down until they're ready to stop sitting. 
I was able to teach a young man in Papua New Guinea back in 1900 and none of your business. His name was Mayor Vui. Mayor Vui had been a superintendent for 17 years. He was at Papua New Guinea's Athlete of the Year two years in a row. He was a top softball pitcher in the country. And when we moved to Papua New Guinea, I got involved in some sports, squash, basketball, and softball. And I remember hearing that he was kind of a famous pitcher. And I remember saying, Lord, could you just help me to hit one home run off this guy? I don't want 10, I just want one. Well, lo and behold, first swing, home run. Thank you, Jesus. So I walked up to him after the game and I said, now that you've served me something good over the plate, my wife and I would like y'all to come to our home and we want to serve you something good on the plate. So we had him for dinner. And I thought, you know, that works in America. Have your neighbor over for a meal. They'll have you over and before long you can kind of get to know each other and evangelize your neighbor, friendship your neighbor. Well, three months went by and there was no invitation. So I said, okay, let's have them over again. So we invited them over again and, oh, hey, them people can eat. Man, we made big old bag of, uh, of rice, fish, and chicken, and they ate up everything. My wife made some homemade bread. We had a homemade bread, bread maker. We had just gotten in the country. We didn't know they didn't have refrigerators. So in their culture, it's an offense if you don't eat everything on the table. My wife and I went in the kitchen and started opening some cans of poking beans. Like, man, these people ate everything on the table. They can eat. Well, we didn't know about that tradition. We didn't know they didn't have a refrigerator. They didn't have us in their house. They told us a few years later they thought we were trying to kill them. <laughs> Did we learn some of their customs? Well, come to find out, he was living with his father-in-law. And so was another sister and her three kids after they divorced. So was another sister and her two kids and husband. And so were two more sons living in a three-bedroom, 800-foot, square-foot house. I found out why they didn't have us over. There was no room. So I told my wife, I said, I heard that mayor, the school department gave mayor a house. I said, I want to go to his house. She said, you know the foreigners aren't supposed to go out at night. They kill foreigners at night. I said, I know. But all the people here are black. So I can go out at night and I can fit right in. She said, you could be killed. I said, come on, woman. No negative ways. Think positive. I went over and knocked on the door. He opened the door and he and his wife started crying. I was actually thinking, man, I knew I was ugly. I didn't know I was that ugly. <laughs> See, that ugly stands for under God's love yearly. Ugly. Yeah, I like that, don't you? Yeah. I went in and sat down and they said the reason we were crying is that our church, our denomination, told us not to come back because we asked too many questions. They both belong to a different religious group. I said, well, I would like to make a proposition to you. I said, do you happen to have some paper? 
He said, well, I keep a log book. I have an empty one. I said, how many pages? He said, 300 pages, front and back. I said, I want you to ask questions. Any question you have, and I will give you a Bible answer to every question you ask. And so we studied that night from 7 o'clock that night to 7 o'clock the next morning. They took showers. I took them to work. They said, can you come back? I went back that night. We studied from 7 that night to 7 o'clock the next morning. They said, can you come back? I went back that night from 7 that night to 7 o'clock the next morning. They said, can you come back? For three and a half months, seven days a week, we studied from 7 at night to 7 o'clock the next morning. And they became children of God. Mayor Vui gave up teaching and being a superintendent and became a gospel preacher. He said he hadn't met anybody that would sit up all night studying the word of God. I said, Jesus did that before he chose his 12 in Matthew 10. I said, he's a personal savior. One of the things I did with my children when they were young, we'd have a devotional And after the devotional, I would take each one of them to the bedroom. And then I would pray personally with them. I wanted a one-on-one prayer relationship. And I would pray. And I would pray until their eyes were closed and they were asleep. And I did that with all four of my children. They told me when they got to be about 12 or 13 that they thought that I'd sat on that bed all through the night because... When I woke them up the next morning, I was sitting at the same place, just kind of stroking them. I don't believe in yelling to wake up a child. Get up! Get downstairs! I don't believe in yelling. I mean, that scares somebody, especially my face. Amen? <laughs> One of the reasons I prayed all night, uh, prayed till they were asleep is, I knew my kids had never had nightmares. I knew they wasn't going to see anything in a dream worse than this. Amen? Amen. My kids never had a nightmare. When they got old and became Christians, they now know that Jesus is there all through the night with them. Daddy doesn't have to be. Instead of, as some people said, instead of counting sheep, why not talk to the shepherd? Amen? Because he's always there on call. In John chapter 4, I've entitled this chapter, Thirsty Soul. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. I believe that. And I hunger. Psalms 42 and 1 is one of the songs that young people sing. As a deer thirst after water, so my soul thirst after thee. When shall I see my God? David said in Psalms 42, 1 and 2. I believe there's still people out in our world that's thirsting for truth. That's thirsting for forgiveness. That's thirsting for knowledge. That's thirsting for patience. That's thirsting for kindness. That's thirsting for love. And we are the ones that he has sent to that thirsty world. I kind of have a bad habit. When my wife punishes me by sending me to the store, If somebody makes me stand in a line 
I'm going to punish somebody. So if I go to Walmart on these holidays and they got these long lines, I light them up. Some glad morning, that's when this life is over. I'll fly away. You ought to see everybody in that line go. Because they think I'm going to say, stick them up. Give me your watches. Hmm. I have that face. You ought to see that line giddy up. <laughs> I mean, people start moving when I start singing. I do it at the airport. If they make me stand in a line, I'm praising the Lord. They ain't going to tell me to leave. They want my money. Walmart or the airport. And so by the time I get on the plane, everybody's ready to do what? I can get a whole airplane singing, church. <laughs> amen. Because I got a dangerous face. Yes, amen. Church, what opportunities we have today? People are all around us. I didn't get this bold till I became a Christian. I was picked as the shyest person my senior year in high school. Can you believe that? I didn't talk to Lottie, Dottie, or anybody. I showed my wife the picture for the quietest person in school. She's like, what happened? I said, Jesus. I no longer live here. This temple belongs to the Lord. Amen, church? And I know what he would do because I read about what he did in this body. He's going to go find hurting people. Here in John 4, this woman's been hurting for a long time. And many of the Jews around her were prejudiced. As we will see in this story. Read some of John 4 with me. When therefore the Pharisees had heard uh, the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, that he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs pass through Samaria. And he cometh to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Verse 6 says, Jesus being weary of his journey, our Lord got tired too. He can identify with tired. Set thus by the well, and it was the sixth hour, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Lunchtime, y'all. The writer wants us to know he was there. He was part of this experience. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The woman said, how is it you being a Jew has drink of me who I'm a Samaritan? Jews are prejudiced. They have nothing to do with us Samaritans. Oh, the reply of our Lord. He said, if you had known the gift of God and who it is that said to you, give me a drink, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. Oh, church, oh, church. If we could only know the gift of God. Paul said, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. There's no words in the human language that can thank God and praise God to an acceptable level for the gift that he has given. What a statement Jesus said. If you had known the gift of God, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. She has no clue who she's talking to. She was observing. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And this well is deep. 
King James, whence then hast thou this living water? Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob, our father, who gave us this well, drank of himself, his sons, and his cattle? Jesus said, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them shall never thirst, but shall become in him or her a well of water springing up unto eternal life. She said, sir, give me this water that I thirst not need to come all the way here to draw it. Well, it wasn't coming out of that hole in the ground. Amen, church. (laughs) But the point was she wanted it now. Jesus could find these thirsty souls. Somebody said you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Is that right? What happened if you scrub his tongue down with salt? He'll drink something even if it's a Dr. Pepper. Because salt makes you thirsty. Who's the salt of the earth, church? We are. We should be causing people to thirst after our God by the way we live, by the way we love. We should be causing people to thirst after our God. Not have to invite them. They'll be inviting themselves. When I get through kissing them, Amen, men. I don't know why my kisses make men thirsty. I blow them a kiss and they start cheesing and <laughs> getting a little thirsty. Amen, brother. Yeah. You didn't blow me one back. Yep. Just like that. Thank you. Church, there's so many opportunities for us out there with these hurting people. They're all around us. My son likes, he used to like to eat Subway sandwiches when he was in high school. Dad, can you go get me a Subway before I play? I go to Subway, there's a line. Guess what? Some glad morning when this life is over. I start singing in Subway. And there was nobody in there but four of the people. So I turned and looked at the, looked like the father. And he looked at me and I said, and he went, and his wife said, where? Where? So I walked over and I said, I caught you, didn't I? He said, excuse me? I said, you're a chocoholic. I caught you. I said, you stand at my chocolate. I said, you get just one. Come here. His wife said, how long have you known him? He said, I ain't never seen him before. She said, he kissed you. I said, that's because he's ugly. And when you're ugly, you can't complain about who kisses you. I said, move over. Mm. I sat down and we talked and laughed for 45 minutes. Total strangers. They weren't even from Texas. They were on their way back to Louisiana. They still had a three-hour drive. I bet you I can tell you what they talked about for the next three hours. (laughs) Amen. Who expects to walk in the subway and get a big chocolate kiss from 240 pounds of chocolate? Because I can turn a peanut into an M&M, Amen. Church, as an evangelist, I do not get the opportunity to stay in your town three months. I don't even get three weeks. The most I get is three to four days. And I got to work fast. So everything I do has a purpose. You see, my father never hugged me. He was not a man of words. He never said, I loved you. But I sure needed to hear that. 
And it took me some years of being in the body of Christ before I let men in that space that was hollowed ground. But I had some people that knew Jesus and they wanted to get into my hollowed ground. And they started hugging me and kissing me. And they started teaching me how to be a man of God. The greatest tool we have in evangelism church is love. We're supposed to be given unconditional love. Now I know all of y'all can't do that. Because all of y'all ain't big and ugly. Some of y'all are little and just handsome. You squeezing in between them? Yeah, y'all look like a reverse Oreo sitting there. <laughs> all the cream in the middle. <laughs> Let me tell you what I'm doing when I hug you. I'm finding out what your relationship is like with your daddy. I need to know that because I'm a father. So when I hug a man and he's stiff, I already know he doesn't have a hugging relationship with his father. If I hug a man and he's trying to wiggle out, because most of them like, one, two, three, turn me loose. One, two, three, turn me loose. I know already there's some pain going on in that relationship and that's what I'm after. Just like when you go to the doctor, they say, where's the pain? On a scale of one to 10, prescribe, describe the pain. That's what I'm doing. I'm finding the pain, I'm finding where it hurts and then I'm trying to serve up the antidote the gospel of Christ now that's why I'm hugging I'm finding out what sons in here have a relationship with their dads what sons in here are bleeding out and they won't tell nobody because in this culture this culture says men don't cry men aren't mushy I believe it takes a man to cry I believe it takes a man to hug. It takes a man to say, I love you. Yeah, I realize some of us are old enough. Well, I come from that school where my daddy didn't do that stuff, but I knew he loved me. Let me tell you something. You want to keep imitating your daddy on the earth or your father in heaven? I want to imitate my father in heaven. Because when the prodigal came home in Luke 15, the first thing the father did was hug him and kiss him. And so I want to be in my father's arms every day. And I want to be in my Lord's arms. And when I take you, brother, in my arms, I'm in the arms of my Lord because Christ lives in you. And I need some hugs today, men. And I'm big enough, I'm going to get some hugs today. <laughs> Amen. Come on, don't sit there like you don't see me looking at you. I'm getting one of them. I'm getting in that hollowed ground. I don't know which side you want it on, but I can get past them whiskers. I'm used to going through cactus. <laughs> you talk about confidence. Over the 42 years that elders and ministers and members and just grandpas have put their arms around me. It's given me the confidence I've needed in this kingdom.
And that's what drew me to the ministry. Is men in God's family that started loving me unconditionally in ways that my father never did on earth. I was experiencing love from a heavenly father. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. She is observant in John 4. But let me tell you something is written there that's not in the book. And it rocked my world. Because I read this chapter for years and didn't catch it. There was so much animosity, hatred between Samaritans and Jews. Because Samaritans were a mixed race, as we Gentiles are. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. Did you hear what she said? Let me translate for you. Excuse me, sir, you are a Jew. Are you telling me you're going to drink out of my dirty, filthy, no good Samaritan cup? That's right. That's exactly what she got. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Just through conversation, Jesus convinced her that he would drink out of her cup and she was convinced that he would, though she never drew water and he never took a drink. She knew he would. Many scholars say this is the first time she had talked to a man in years that didn't want intimacy from her. That she knew this man was interested in her soul. And women know. This Jew was like no other Jew. He didn't say, yes, I'm greater than Jacob. Or Abraham. But he just simply said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them shall never thirst, but shall become in him or her a well of water springing up into eternal life. She said, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come all the way here to draw it. He said, call your husband. And she didn't lie. She said, I have no husband. Bleeding people do not lie. She was bleeding out. She said, I have no husband. Oh, the pain of those words. Five times, I have no husband. Her history revealed a broken heart. Jesus said, you've said well, because you've had five husbands, and the one you're shacked up with now is not your husband. She said in verse 19, 18 and 19, sir, let's get off that subject. I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in the mountain, but you Jews say Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. Who would have ever thought this woman was interested in worship? Jesus. She had some questions. And Jesus simply said, neither in the mountains nor in Jerusalem. It's not about location. Amen, church? Not about location. I sing these songs we sing in here. I sing them in public. Because I serve a public God. I serve a God that dwells around the world. And I'm not going to keep these songs in this building behind these walls. They need to be heard out there. Ask Paul and Silas in Acts 16 and 25. Were they singing in a prison? Were they praying in a prison? That's information for us. We need to take some of this out there. You don't like the music they're playing in the barbershop? Make your own. 
You don't like the music they play in some of these stores? I make my own music. I got run over by not, not grandma and some reindeers. I got run over by some grandmas in Walmart. Because I'm walking around Walmart singing. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. I stop and grandma run over me with a cart. I turn around, there's five grandmas behind me pushing. They said, we're not stalking you, son. We just like you singing. Keep singing. (laughs) It never fails, that amazing grace with somebody's husband's favorite song. I'll fly away with somebody's mother's favorite song because he lives with someone's grandpa's favorite song. I haven't seen a young person today that needs a phone book for them radio songs. Amen? You ever sit in the car with some young people and their favorite song, come on? All your curves and all your edges. All your, mama, mama, get my pitch pipe. Get my songbook. Perfect imperfections. Because I give you all of me. If you give me all of you. You ain't seen nobody pull out a pitch pipe and a songbook out of a glove compartment. When them songs come on, they just start in. From this moment. And if you've been going here longer than a couple of years, you need to memorize these songs. I don't want to have to look at a songbook on overhead when I praise my God. I know there's some that need it. But you see, I was brought up with switches. Amen, church. All 11 of us can sing. That's the one place I first heard acapella music. Because my mama would say, who did this? I don't know. If I hear I don't know again, everybody's getting it. Who broke that plate? I don't know. Line up. All 11 of us. And she got the whooping. And she said, get to your room. Get to your room. Well, all 11 of us had the same room. You ever walk in a room with 11 screaming? <laughs> Nobody's off pitch because no child cries off key. Amen. If you don't think you can sing, see me after this. I'll take my belt off and tune you up. (laughs) We got tuning daily. I don't know about no music. I can't read no music. My Bible says sing. And I like to sing loud. (laughs) It was a thirsty soul. She'd been hurting for years. I'm sure she had her jokes about chauvinism with five men kicking her to the curb and now this guy's just shacking up with her. It's about noon and she comes to do her wash. You know why noon? Because women don't do their wash at 12 o'clock. That's the hottest part of the day down by the riverside. I know because I used to go there with my mother. You go in the early mornings and the late evenings, but not at noon. The point he's making is she was rejected among her own people. You talk about bleeding out. She didn't even fit in with the sinners. His disciples were still too prejudiced. That's why the scripture says his disciples are going away to the city to buy food. They were hungry, like some of y'all are now. They They went to go eat while the Lord had some business to take care of. As he told the disciples when they would return, I have meat to eat of that you know nothing about. At that time, they didn't. But later on, they learned. 
neither in the mountains nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. See, worship is based on knowledge. He said, you worship that which you know not. For salvation is of the Jews. But God is the spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah cometh, he that is called the Christ. When he has come, he will declare unto us all things. Jesus said, I who is speaking to you am he. Verse 28 says she dropped a water pot. Wouldn't know why she was going to be done today. And she ran back to that very city that had rejected her. And she said in verse 29, come see a man that has told me all things that ever I did. Can this be the Christ? Wow. You talk about a thirsty soul. You talk about somebody who's been hurting for years. She has finally met someone that's not a chauvinist. She has finally met someone that's consistent with what she knows about God. She said, I know the Messiah cometh, he that is called the Christ. When he has come, he'll teach unto us all things. They had the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus said, I just speak unto you and he. She saw no miracles. She saw no great multitudes. But she hung on his words. Let me tell you why, church. Because he spoke to her like she was somebody. He spoke to her like she was important. That she had purpose. We are made in the image of God. Amen, church? In the image of God created he them, both male and female. He spoke to her in such a manner. That carries clout. Oh, you can go see the eight wonders of the world, but we override the eight wonders. They were not made in God's image. We have been made in God's image. Nothing out there will override that, that I'm a child of the king. I have purpose. I have a father. And he's calling me home through the gospel of Christ. That death, burial, and resurrection. That I can be a citizen in his kingdom. Yes. He chooses me, a little welfare kid, broken home. Didn't learn to read, didn't graduate from high school till I was 25. Yes. Well, the world told me I was ADD, HD, and ABCDEFG. You know, the world, that's what they're going to do. They're going to point out your faults. Not Jesus. Amen, church? Not Jesus. He points out those blessings that I've been made in God's image. And this invitation is for me as well, just like it is for you. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This woman was thirsting for understanding that God disliked her too. Not when this man spoke. His words were attractive, spellbinding, because it made her believe she was a subject. She said, give me, give me this water. I believe, first of all, she thirsted for understanding. Too many people in America today misunderstand God. I was going to pick up my oldest daughter from college at Oklahoma Christian she introduced me to a young man. He said, sir, I understand you're an evangelist. I said, yes, sir. It was after 9-11. He said, why would a perfect God give a perfect son to down across for imperfect people? I said, good question. I don't have all the answers. I said, but I'll give you what I got. A perfect God who had a perfect son that did everything he ever asked. From Genesis 3.15 all the way to John 
1930, where from the cross he said, it is finished. He fulfilled everything the Father ever spoke about him through all of the prophets. A perfect father had a perfect son that did everything the father ever asked of him and he did it with love. John 14, 15. But one night in a garden, he came to his father and he said, Father, let this cup pass. Three times. He pleaded with his father, let this cup pass. And a perfect father said to a perfect son, no. How do you say no to a perfect son? I wrestled with that too. The father said no to a perfect son. I said, I believe he said no to the perfect son. Because I have a father that's not in a slack-cutting business. We live in a nation that plea bargains in their courtrooms. We live in a nation that cuts deals in their courtroom. We live in a nation where people know the law can be twisted. It can be turned. It can be negotiated. But God is not in the negotiating business. God doesn't cut slack. Not even to a perfect son. I said, I believe the father said no to a perfect son because he wants us to know that he's not in the slack cutting business. And you hear it all the time. Well, God's not going to destroy me just because I don't come back on Sunday night. You know how it is. We all show up on Sunday morning. Sunday night, you can't find us with a search warrant. Come on, church, tell the truth. We get weak too. And you hear people say, well, you know, God's not going to destroy me just because I didn't read my Bible today. Well, God's not going to destroy me just because I missed Wednesday. Well, God's not going to destroy me because I'm not baptized. Well, he understands that I can't be there Sunday morning. Everybody thinks they can negotiate. The Father does not negotiate. He doesn't do that. Now you can sell that Kool-Aid to some other humans, but not to God. I raised my daughter to marry a godly man. And so my oldest daughter married a non-Christian. She didn't invite me to the wedding. You want to know why? Because she knew that I wasn't going to go. I don't try to bend God's teachings for my children. What it says, I stand on. I was able to teach him some three months later and he became a child of God, but light and darkness doesn't mix. Hello? I wasn't going to give my blessings or my approval. He knew that. And eventually he called me and asked me why. And we sat down and studied and I was able to teach him the gospel of Christ. Church, I stand for something and my kids know that. And anybody that knows me knows that. I will be very loving. But don't think for one minute I'm not militant. I'm very militant against this old world. It had me for 23 years. 
and I was able to come home. I don't have to score touchdowns here. I don't have to run a 4-3 flat. Amen? I ain't got to jump through a hoop. I don't have to work to try to earn my father's approval. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no man or woman should boast. You see, I was made in God's image. And he has demonstrated his love by giving his son. And agape love. This woman thirsted for understanding. She first saw him as a Jew. Verse 6, she said, sir. Verse 19, she said, prophet. Verse 29, she said, Messiah. Is she not growing in her understanding about who this man is? She was thirsting for understanding. Ephesians 5, 17, Paul says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. We're supposed to be thirsting for understanding our God. Everybody, well, why did God let 9-11 happen? God didn't do that. Well, why didn't God? God is not the one to blame. James says all good things come from God. You should already know what bad, who the bad stuff come from. That old devil. But people want to blame God. One woman cried, where was God when my son died? Someone said the same place he was when his son died. If you and God have drifted apart, someone has said, you can be sure as to which one of you have moved. Because my God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's still here. It's time for us humans to make the move because of Calvary. It's your move. Not only did she thirst for understanding, she thirsted for better living. Verse 18, Jesus said, call your husband. She said, I perceive you're a prophet. I have no husband. You know how painful those words were? I can remember the first time I was married. And to hear my wife say, this is my husband. I mean, my ears stood up just like a German shepherd's. I had never been called husband before. I mean, that was exciting. Can you imagine how painful those words were? Five times she had to say, I have no husband. Painful words. Jesus knew about her hurting. How many nights had she prayed? How many years had she prayed? How long had she been been hurting? Had she given up? Did she think anybody would come to her borders? And yet here's a man that's sitting at the well. She saw him as a Jew. Then she said, sir. Then she said, prophet. Then she said, Messiah. And they were talking truth. If truth be told, she said, I have no husband. She thirsted for better living. There is no young girl in America that has a young girl that dreams about growing up and shacking up with somebody. I don't know about the future, but I know in the past, Walt Disney didn't make any movies about some princess dreaming about shacking up with her prince. Beauty and yeah, you beast. I mean, dog, yo, yo, dog. I don't answer the dog. I answer the Mufasa. 
A dog's a predator. So yes, sisters, God made the Cinderella story for you. That he wants you dreaming about wedding one day, not shacking up. She was thirsting for better living. She didn't like that situation. That's not what she remembered when she was 10 years old. That's not what she prayed about when she began making her list of the man she wanted to marry in grade 7 as some Sunday school teachers teach these young girls. Start making you a list. I met a couple at Oklahoma Christian. And I'm always sticking my foot in my mouth, Doug, because I said, how did y'all meet? She said, well, I started riding the joy bus and I became a member of the Lord's church. She said, our Sunday school teacher on Sunday morning said, girls in the seventh grade, you need to write down what you want and the man you're going to marry. Make a list. She said, so I wrote down, I wanted him to be taller than me. She was five foot ten. She said, I wanted him to have a nice car. Sounds like a seventh grader. She said, I wanted him to sing bass because she said I was a soprano. She said, and I wanted him to be a gospel preacher. And she said, I finished high school, went off to college. And the boy that started asking me out wasn't even a Christian. But he had money. Hello, ching ching. She said, for my 20th birthday, he bought me a car. And then he asked me to marry him. She said, I knew. He didn't fit any of the things on my list. But he was trying to bribe me, as guys do. What did he say? Help. (laughs) Get him, mama. (laughs) And girls, guys, will try to bribe you with bling bling and ching ching. She said, he gave me an engagement ring. She said, that summer, I decided instead of going home that I would go to the mission field and spend the summer in the mission field. She said she went overseas that summer. She said, one day, we were going around France doing some singing. And she says, I noticed the guy across the seat from me sang bass. She said, we stood up to get off the bus and he was taller than me. She said, I asked him what his major was. He said, Bible. She said, we got back to school and I saw he had a nice car. She said, I took that ring off and gave it back to that guy. And she said, you are mine. I've been praying about you since the seventh grade. (laughs) And they married. Amen, church. You young sisters get a list. And you guys need to get a list anyway, because you're ugly. (laughs) Under God's love yearly, yes. Stay under God's love. She was thirsting for better living. Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarce worth his while. To waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good people, he cried. And who will start the bidding for me? One dollar, two dollars, two dollars, and who will make it three? But no, from the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the carolin angels sing. The music ceased in the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low. He said, what am I bidding for the old violin? And he held it up by the bow. 
$1,000, $2,000, and who will make it three? Going once, going twice, gone, said he. The people cheered and some of them cried, we do not quite understand. What change is worth? Quick came to reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man, a woman with life out of tune is battered and scarred, scarred with sin. Their auction cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and they travel on. Going once, going twice, going, and almost gone. And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of one soul and the change that can be wrought by the touch of the master's hand. When you come in contact with Jesus, the world will know. The world will know. Because he changes things. No, I'm not a preacher, as you can see. I don't have a key word, an introduction, and three main points and a conclusion. I don't conclude. Amen. Because Jesus hadn't come back yet, his invitation is always open. Church, I'm hurting. I hurt as a husband. I hurt as a father. I hurt as a servant of Christ. And I'm never ashamed to tell my family because we're in the habit of praying for hurting individuals. Amen, church? And so know you've been prayed for. Know that you've been prayed for. It is our custom to sing an invitation song if a person is needing prayer to ask. And I hope that you feel at home enough to ask these saints if you're hurting to pray for you. And not just today, but continued prayer. And if you're not a child of God, then today you're the man or woman at your well. And Jesus has come to your well. And he wants you to understand the Father. He wants you to be thirsting for better living. He wants you to be thirsting for better worship. That's what she was asking about. And it gets better when I learn to worship other places than in just one location. It will get better. In prison, on a job, in a store, at a game, out in public. That we can't keep from that overflow of praising him for what he has done on our behalf. The message is yours. And today Jesus has come to your well. And he's asked you that question he asked her. If you had known the gift of God and who it is that said to you, give me a drink, you would ask of him that he would give you living water. This day, he desires to give you that living water where you can be buried in it in the Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, put his spirit in you, and you can be born again. If you accept the God's invitation, please come.